There are many people like that today. They are stockpiling things. Their whole hope is in this world only. But spiritually, they are bankrupt and they are headed for an eternal disaster as is this man. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've been looking at the coming Antichrist in our study of the book of Daniel, chapter 11. Last time, we saw that the coming Antichrist will form a huge ecumenical movement with the intent of lauding the Antichrist as its so-called Messiah. Pastor Brogy also noted that during this time, only those that take a mark on their forehead or wrist will be able to make purchases. And as we pick up in verse 39, we see that the Antichrist himself will worship a god of war, namely, the devil himself. This man is going to control the world. And the scripture is very clear. You will not be able to buy or sell anything apart from taking his number. Revelation 20 and verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. They had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So in addition to the royal pride of this man, I also, in the religious policy of this man, I want you to notice the real purpose of the Antichrist. Verse 38. But instead, here's his real purpose. But instead he will honor a God of fortresses. A God whom his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold. Silver, costly stones, and treasures. Instead, or in the place of God that occupies most people's thinking, the Antichrist will honor a God of fortresses, a God of war. Who is this God of fortresses? Who is this God of war? The one that Jesus said came only to kill and to destroy and to steal. It was Satan who legitimately offered to Jesus the kingdoms of this world. And Satan had a right to make that offer. And the Antichrist will accept that offer and become the world dictator. And in order to take the world for himself as a man, he will need military power. But instead, he will honor a God of fortresses, a God whom his fathers did not know, and he will honor him, meaning this God of fortresses, with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasures. Everything that was valuable, even to this day in many countries of the world, people will give some of their best to some false god they worship. They will give their gold, their silver, and their costly stones and treasures to their gods. But this man will give all of his monetary might to a god of fortresses to build a military machine. Verse 39, he will take action against the strongest of fortresses. With the help of a foreign god, he will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause him to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. So he'll attack the strongest of fortresses there will be no world power, not even the strongest superpower you can think of, that will be able to rule over this man with the help of a foreign god, the devil himself. He will pull this off. Revelation 12 and verse 12 says, For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, 
and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Listen, the first half will be a relative period of peace, but when the abomination of desolation takes place, Mr. Peace will become Mr. War. And it's in the middle of the 70th week that the devil comes down with his fallen angels. And if you're in heaven, it will be a great place. But if you're on the earth, it will be the worst place. Verse 39 says, He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for price. He is going to take the kingdoms of this world and then he will buy with his treasures people's allegiances. He will give them to rule over the many. He will parcel out land for a price that is for a reward. He'll divide the spoil in order to keep their loyalty. He will rule the world. Now that's the blasphemies of the Antichrist. Very quickly as we close, now the battles of the Antichrist in verses 40 to 45. This section opens up in verse 40 by telling you something first about the rivals of the Antichrist. Who are those who will be against him? They won't all be for him. Verse 40, at the end of time, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships. Now, we've already studied the first half of the chapter, really the first 35 verses of the chapter. Remember the king of the south? Remember the king of the north? What's south of Israel? What country? Egypt, still called Egypt today, amazingly. What's north, directly north of Israel? Who is the king of the north? Remember, all directions in the scripture, north, south, east, or west, are given from Israel, which God views as the center of the world. Syria? To this day, it's called Syria. And we saw in the th first 35 verses how secular history records exactly what Daniel wrote and prophesied as having come true. And so on the end of time, these foes are going to come against Israel. And indeed, Egypt and Syria hate Israel. You read their constitutions, they want to drive Israel into the sea, they say. Those old rivals will come, and Tychus Epiphanes foreshadowed them, but they will come on the stage during the great tribulation period. Verse 40 says at the end time, he's referring to that final time in human history after the rapture of the church. Notice, at the end time, the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him. That is the king of Egypt and the king of Syria. They'll go against the Antichrist. How? With chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. Now, some argue that the Antichrist has disarmed the world powers of conventional weapons, maybe through some electronic, you know, spark that people warn us about that would break down all of the electronics in the world. I don't know it's possible, but I think what is more likely, in light of what we will study in the Revelation, is that since Daniel has no direct counterpart in his day to describe whether it's aircraft or or, 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 you know, F-35s or whatever it might be. He's using terminology to help the people understand what will take place in that day, that the Antichrist will have a variety of resources. He will come with chariots and horsemen and many ships. In either case, it's very clear that he will overthrow Egypt and Syria. Now, those are his rivals. In addition, I want you to think about the revenge, the revenge of the Antichrist. You see, neither the king of the north nor the king of the south will be successful. So we're told he will enter countries, 
overflow them. That is, he'll, he'll win them, he'll conquer them and pass through. And so he's pictured throughout the Revelation as being a victorious reigning warlord until Jesus comes back. Verse 41, he will enter the beautiful land. I've already documented that term for you in our study of Daniel, a reference to Israel. He will enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Amnon. Now that's interesting. He goes back to Israel, here termed the beautiful land. And while Egypt and Syria fall, along with many other countries, there are three countries that are spared. Edom, Moab, and Ammon, here on the map. Now if you remember your biblical history... Three of Israel's greatest enemies are the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites. And the piece of land that they hold geographically today is called Jordan. Now, why these three groups of people, why these three groups of people that today live in the land of Jordan, and they describe themselves with these same ancestral terms, why are those three spared? We're not told. Maybe because they hated the Jews for so many centuries and fought against them that it will be the devil's thank you. But the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Even the Antichrist, remember, Luther said, the devil is God's devil. He can only do what God allows. And Jesus tells us in the Olivet Discourse, as they are reading Matthew 24, they are going to realize they missed it. All of those tour guides who have heard preachers like me talk about Yeshua and what he is going to do. All of these people, all of these Orthodox Jews who have been witnessed to by evangelical Christians in the land of Israel, they're going to realize they were right and they're going to be pouring over the Scriptures. And Jesus said in the midpoint of the tribulation, those who are in Judea are to flee to the mountains. And he's referring to Jordan. And so you have a picture here of one of those places. Some of you have been to Petra. It's in the wilderness. Why? Because they're going to find protection there for their life to be spared. By the way, this whole sequence marks what we call the War of Armageddon. Now, many Christians popularly speak of the Battle of Armageddon, but it's really not a battle, it's a war, it's not a single fight, it's a three and a half year uh, battle that reaches a final meet-off in a city we call Jerusalem. Now, the gathering place will be Armageddon, but the final place will be Jerusalem. So here's Mr. Peace. He becomes Mr. War. Notice verse 42 and 43. The campaign continues. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape, but he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. He'll defeat the Egyptian armies in these other countries. He'll plunder their great treasures. He's an interesting man whose values are warped like many people today. Here he is. He's amassing wealth for himself. He'll be the richest man on the planet. But his time is about ready to come to an end. And there are many people like that today. They are stockpiling things. Their whole hope is in this world only. But spiritually, they are bankrupt and they are headed for an eternal disaster, as is this man, which brings us to the rage of the Antichrist. He has his rivals, which leads to his revenge. 
And so now feeling his oats, feeling incredibly strong, we now see his rage. Let's think about the rage of the Antichrist. Verse 44. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him. And he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So to add to his difficulties, the Antichrist hears of another invasion from the east and from the north. And as he prepares to defend himself, the Antichrist, who has his headquarters, the Revelation teaches, as does the prophet Ezekiel in Israel, he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. He will be between the seas, a reference to the two great seas in Israel, the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. He will station himself between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, which we have already identified, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, as Mount Moriah, where the temple will sit. And if you fix geographically between the holy mountain and those two seas, you come to a place called Hamageddon, where the gathering nations of the world will meet. And we are told in the book of Revelation, like here, of a great army from the east. Revelation 9, 16, put it out in the margin. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. There's only one army on the face of the earth. It is east of Israel. It is Red China with an army that they boast of 200 million people. John can't count the number. It's too big. He hears the number and he writes it down. And then there's an army from the north. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 defines the army specifically as Russia having gathered a number of Arab nations around them. And so you have Red China, you have Russia with her allies attacking the Antichrist with his allies from the revived Roman Empire, which could potentially include the U.S., since we have European roots. In either case, they will gather together first in a particular plain, Revelation 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. The water of the great Euphrates River will be dried up by a supernatural act of God such that the Red Chinese with their army of 200 million people will be able to march right up the riverbed into Israel. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Here's Satan's unholy trinity during the great tribulation period. The dragon is defined in the revelation of Satan. No mystery. The beast is called the Antichrist. And the false prophet is that one who gives people motivation to turn to the Antichrist. So Satan will try to mimic God's holy trinity. Satan will take the role of God the Father. The Antichrist will take the role of God the Son. And the false prophet who points men to the Antichrist will take the role of God the Spirit. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the war of the great day of God Almighty. He's talking about demons who will inspire the minds of kings and presidents and prime ministers and convince them 
to march against Israel. Verse 15, it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments. Let's see, walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gather them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Hamageddon. So the Antichrist, in conjunction with his fallen demons, thinks he's going to achieve a great victory. But he will not. That brings us finally now to the ruin of the Antichrist. The ruin of the Antichrist. Daniel 11, verse 45. And he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Why? Because 666 is going to be crushed by 777. You see, Antichrist's time will have run out. It will be all over. It will be too late for him. It will be done, and Jesus will come, and he will rule and reign. And I saw the beast, Revelation 19 says, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized with a false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who'd received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These, were, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist will spend eternity, the Bible says, in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, but they won't be the only occupants there. Revelation 20, 15 says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too, the scripture says, was thrown into the lake of fire. Now listen to your pastor this morning. All 135 prophecies of the first 35 verses were literally fulfilled. Precisely just as God said. And I want to tell you, he's going to fulfill the rest of the prophecies in this chapter during the 70th week. And you may be here today and say, I don't get this stuff. This is irrelevant to me. Some of you may think I am a nut and you are sneering and mocking and laughing under your breath. The Bible says, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lust, their evil desires, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning. There will be people who will mock. They have forgotten. As he will illustrate, just as God intervened once before upon the whole world with Noah's flood, he will intervene again with Jesus' judgment. King Jesus will come back. They'll gather there in the field of Armageddon, and they will make their way to Jerusalem, and the Messiah will come to the Mount of Olives with thousands and thousands and millions of angels and his saints, and he will put an end to it all. Now, how do we apply this to our lives today? Let me make a suggestion from Luke 17. Jesus is speaking about his return. And it happened, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Then he moves to Lot. And by the way, people say to me on occasion, well, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Yes, he did. Just to mention Lot, 
is to give credence to Genesis 19. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let not the one who is on the house stop and whose goods are in the house go down and take them away. And likewise, let not the one who is in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Now think for just a moment. The coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Think about the great flood. Just before God poured out his wrath upon the whole earth, he placed Noah and his family safely in the ark, and then they walked into a brand new world. And just before God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, he put Lot and his two daughters safely in Zoar. And just before the Antichrist officially comes on the scene and God pours out his wrath across the earth, he will rapture and catch up his people and remove us to heaven. Now, please listen to me. There are many implications. The days of Noah were the days of moral permissiveness, sexual immorality. That is our day. The days of Lot were days of moral perversion. That is our day. You think it is by accident. Why do you think people are reveling in the streets? Because they wanted a presidential candidate who would, in essence, endorse their immorality, be it abortion or homosexuality or anything else you can think of. That's not to say the one we got is any better. But it will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Listen, there will be three classes of people living on the earth when the Lord Jesus comes. First, there will be the Noah type. And the Noah type is an illustration of the spirit-filled believer. Noah loved the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He certainly was not a perfect man. But the pattern of his life was a life of obedience. And he had a godly influence on his family. And he was able to gather the whole family safely into that ark. Would that be true of you if Jesus came back today? And he enters into a world of reward just like those who are godly will and they will hear the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Noah typifies the believer who is faithfully serving in the kingdom of God. But then there are the Lot type of people. How did Lot go to the mountains? The angels had to argue with him. The angel dragged him by the hand. And most of his loved ones, including his own sons and sons of laws, perished in the doom that day, with the exception of two of his daughters. And while he got his daughters out of Sodom, he never got Sodom out of his daughters. Years before, Lot had made a worldly decision. First, he camps on the outskirts of Sodom, and he gets kind of used to sin. And then he moves into the city of Sodom, and by the end of his life, he's a ruler in Sodom. He lived for the here and now, and in the end, his whole life went up in smoke. Lot typifies the believer at the judgment seat of Christ, the compromised believer whose reward will be lost, you say, do you think a carnal Christian will go to hell? Not if he's really a true believer. Of course not. But I can tell you this, Mr. Carnal Lot. Some of your loved ones and some of your friends will die and go to hell because of your compromised testimony. 
But there's a third type, the Noah type, the Lot type. Then there's the Lot wife's type. Jesus said in verse 32 here, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife had her heart in the world. She longed for what Sodom had to offer. The angels had to drag her out, but in the end she had a free will and she chose to turn back to do what God precisely said not to do and she turned into a pillar of salt and this morning she is in hell. Now the Holy Spirit has been wooing and convicting some of you and you may not turn into a pillar of salt, but I can tell you this, your heart can and you can reach a point of no return where you've put God off for so long. You will give a final eternal no to the living God. And you will be here for the great tribulation if it happens in our life. And the great tribulation will turn over into the lake that fires with brimstone. What kind are you? Are you like Noah? Are you like Lot? Or are you like Lot's wife? The Noahs of this world will experience great reward. The Lots of this world will experience great regret. The Lots wives of this world will experience great wrath. You must choose. You cannot be neutral. Now our Holy Father, thank you for your word a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. You gave us this word not so that we might be intrigued, but that we might be changed. And I pray today, our Father, for someone who is here, who is a Noah type, help them to live well to the end. Help them not to quit, to persevere to the very end as a spirit-filled Christian, but help the lot types who are compromised, whose hearts are being won over by the world, whose hearts are divided, whose testimony is hypocritical, whose word of witness is weak. Help somebody like that today, Father, to put first things first. And I pray for those who are like Lot's wife, who are totally in the world, who have never repented and believed on the Lord Jesus. Help them to realize that today could be the last day. For you said in some instances you give the devil permission to snatch the seed that they may not believe and be saved. You said today is the day of salvation. Help someone in simple faith to cry out to the Lord Jesus and to say, Lord Jesus, save even me. Father, thank you for this book, for its challenge, but for its truth. And we apply it to our lives today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is to be in Christ, not into the things of this world. We've seen so many warnings in these chapters on things to look out for and also calls to tell others about the good news. To listen again to this or any of the messages in our series from Daniel, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. And when you do, please consider supporting Search the Scriptures with a one-time or a sustaining gift. 
For more information, call 877-787-7478. Join us tomorrow as we near the end of the studies of Daniel while we search the scriptures.